afternoon. It is so good to be gathered back together again this afternoon. Again, uh, have another opportunity to come together to to encourage one another, to lift one another up in song. So thankful for the songs that Brother Allen has picked out for us uh, this afternoon to sing, and and to join our hearts together again in in prayer and in praise of our blessed Lord. And when we think of, of God and we think of the names that are so oftentimes contributed to Him, uh, there's a phrase that is used, an expression that is used, but very rarely in, in, in relationship to Christ. And that expression is, my Lord. In fact, it's only used about three or four times throughout the Bible in relation to Christ. In Psalm chapter 110 and verse 1, David wrote, speaking of Jesus, said, the Lord said to my Lord, <clears throat> excuse me. Mary said in John chapter 20, verse 13, they have taken away my Lord. And just a few verses later, Thomas was going to make that, that bold con- confession after seeing the, the touching the holes and in, in, in the, the scars of Jesus. He said, my Lord, my God. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 wrote, Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's important, even though this is used only a handful of times in scriptures, it's important for Christians everywhere to think of Jesus as my Lord and to appreciate what it means to have, to have for Jesus to hold that position. To help, to help us better understand what it means to have Jesus as my Lord, let's consider the title of, of our, our study this afternoon, the, 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 the phrase that we're going to be considering, Jesus my Lord, and let's focus our thoughts on each and every word in that phrase, Jesus, my Lord, beginning with the word Lord. That word comes from a, a Greek word that is pronounced kurios, related to the word, the word kuros. It means power. Uh, it has it translated sometimes as the word owner, other times translated as the word master. And it describes one who has power. It describes one who has authority, which Jesus uh, Claimed to have Matthew 28, verse 18, describing himself as one who's been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Another word that is sometimes describing or, or translated into Lord is the, is the word desp, uh, despotas or despotes. And that word comes uh, is where we get the word despot. And today that is often used in a very bad sense. Uh, it describes a person who is exercising uh, a power in a very abusive manner, maybe oppressively or, or a tyrant or a dictator. But its primary definition is a ruler with absolute power or authority. Now, in many places, this is used to describe God. Luke chapter 2, verse 29. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. Revelation verse six, chapter 6, verse 10. But over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2 and verse 21, it's used to describe Christ. It says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, one who has ultimate power and authority, to the master prepared for every good work. Another place it's used in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Here is translated as the word Lord. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as... There will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying, excuse me again, it's the word master who brought them, denying the one with ultimate authority, with, with supreme power or authority. Uh, the word despotess is stronger than curios because it speaks of one having absolute power, absolute authority. So that is the word that we are talking about. That is the word that we are affixing uh, 
in, in this phrase, when we talk about Lord, we are talking about one with absolute power, absolute sway, absolute authority in our lives. The first, second word that we want to consider is who it is that has that power. Who has that authority? Claim, who has lay claim to the hold of my master, my owner? For the Christian, that answer obviously must be Jesus. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus is to be my Lord. As he applied uh, and as he taught his disciples over in John chapter 13. John 13, verse 13. <clears throat> over here we read, Starting in verse 12, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. You are right, for so I am. He was telling them. That is, that is his rightful claim. To the, to the apostle Peter, he proclaimed, uh, also proclaimed Jesus as Lord in Acts chapter 2. In verse 36, on the day of Pentecost, we read about him doing that. But also over in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 and verse 36. And speaking to the Gentiles and to the household of Cornelius, he said, The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. The Apostle Paul also proclaims Jesus as Lord. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8 and in verse 6. Paul preaches him as Lord, saying, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom, all things, uh, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him, and the one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. He also said over in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 5, I was saying one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Again, pointing out that Jesus is the one who is our curios. He is the one who is our despotes. He is our Lord. He is our master. He is our king. Jesus holds the right to that. And what that does is that rules out any other lords, such as myself. I can't be my own curios. I can't be, be my own master. I can't be my own Lord. That means that it rules out my own will. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Here we read, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I must deny myself, as Luke's, as uh, Jesus wrote in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I must deny myself as my own Lord, and I must set Jesus up in my life as my Lord. But that also means that I cannot allow my flesh to be my, my Lord, my curios. <coughs> my fleshly desires. In Colossians, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 24. It says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and with its desires. We must crucify these things and look to Jesus again as our example. Turn over to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, we see how it is we are to do this in verses 1 through 11. Saying, Now therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ... Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This first verse starts out reminding us the power and the authority that Christ has. Again, not using speaking of Him as Lord, but setting Him up as the place of authority and power at the right hand of God. So we've set Him up again as the, as the Lord. And He says, in, uh, being raised up with Him, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. All this is telling that my flesh cannot be the ruler of my life. My desires, all these desires uh, that, that are mentioned, that are talked about in these passages, they can't rule my life. They must be considered as dead. But it is Christ who holds ultimate authority in my life. And again, if, my, if I can't be my own Lord and my flesh can't be my own Lord, it rules to say that the world also cannot be my own world, uh, Lord. Turn over again to Galatians. Let's look in Galatians chapter 6 this time. Galatians 6 and verse 14 says, But may it never be that I would boast except in, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Anything outside of myself which leads me away from the Lord. Anything which draws my attention, draws my heart, draws my mind away from, as we talked about in Colossians 3, that which is above. It needs to be crucified to me. This would include things such as my work. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, that my work could, could possibly become my Lord, but for so many people that has become the case. Where they worship and they serve the, the almighty dollar. And they worship and they serve the, the institutions that they have put their heart and soul into in their jobs. Sometimes it's their families. Our families become such a high priority in our lives that they take the place of God. And certainly these things are important. We should never look at these things and say that they have absolute no, no meaning, no purpose in this life. But we must remember in, in, setting, uh, in setting up places and setting up priorities where these things don't become our lords. They don't become the absolute rule of our lives. We also should look at things such as, such as the traditions of men. When we, when we consider things that, we have just, that have always been done, my grandfather did it this way, my father did it this way, um, when we look at those sort of things, we need to realize that a lot of times those can become what really rules our lives. Why do we make the decisions that we make? Why do we do what we do each and every day? Why do we come together on Sunday morning if it's because, if it's because that's what my parents did? If it's because that's the way it's always been done and that's the way I feel comfortable, then we need to really stop and consider whether or not our traditions have somehow counter, countered that which God has put into it. Even the, the good things that we might do. Doing them just because it's the tradition, it's because we've always done them, is not doing them to serve the Lord. It's doing them to serve that tradition. Sometimes philosophy becomes our Lord. That which is, uh, that which is, is, is discussed and talked about amongst men, uh, when we, we, people sit down and, and, and like to really maybe pick apart a, a scripture. We're going to take the scripture and we're going to just devour it and, and really dig into it. And we start getting into a whole lot of, well, this is what I think and this is what I think and this is my opinion on this thing. And after, after before too long, we're really laying a whole lot more emphasis on our opinions and on our thoughts and not on what was just simply the word of God. We can very easily allow other things to become our Lord. But for the Christian, the only thing that can hold 
true power, the only thing that can hold absolute uh, rule in our lives must be Jesus, the Son of God. But there is another place that we can see that, that can set itself up as the rule over us, and that is the brethren, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we are commanded to submit to one another. That is something that we are called to do, and we absolutely must do. But sometimes we seem to fear one another more than we fear the Lord. I heard it said one time of, of someone that I, I think very dearly of. They said that I, I wanted to get up and I wanted to say amen at the, end of a, at the end of a sermon or at a point made in a sermon. I wanted to say amen. It was such a good point and I agreed with it, but I was afraid of what the brethren might think of me if I was to say that. And that broke my heart because not only should we not have that fear, should we not be, have to worry about the fact that our brethren, even if we do something that maybe is wrong, that they wouldn't come to us in a loving manner, they wouldn't come to us and, and try to help us learn and to teach us in a very gentle way. But the fact that this person was allowing the fear, that fear that they had to control the way they acted and not allowing their love for the Lord and their desire to serve Him to control the way they're acting. So oftentimes we allow this to happen. We watch our, our conduct. We watch what we do when we are in the presence of the brethren because that is our Lord. That is who we are here to impress. Sometimes we attend services and we... <coughs> excuse me. We attend services, we come out and we show up at gatherings only for the purpose of being in front of the brethren. Maybe it's even just to get somebody off our back. We've probably all at least known or maybe been the, uh, the, young, the young man that, that went to services because mom and dad were harping at them. Maybe there's a, a situation like that where we are coming not to, not to be pleasing to God, but just to get somebody off of our back. We must submit to one another, absolutely, and, and, and that's a certainty. But we must remember that it is to Christ that we ultimately submit. We are, we are told to submit to those in authority, whether it be maybe in, in the marriage, to the husband, in the, during the service, or in the church building, uh, within the local congregation, the, the elders, or within the country, the government. But that a power is given to them because, they, because of the authority that Jesus has of his Lord above all. But so oftentimes many Christians live as though they are their own masters. Their flesh, their desires are their own masters. The brethren, the world, these things are their owners, their masters. And it may help to avoid this divided loyalty if truly we would make Jesus my Lord. Thinking of Jesus as my Lord, as, as, as Kyle's Lord and Charles and Nellie's Lord and Jim's Lord. If we would make this personal thinking of Jesus not simply as the Lord. Sometimes we, we kind of put him on this, uh, in this separate category. Kind of, yes, Jesus is the Lord. But does he belong? Is he mine? Is he my Lord? The Lord is easily professed by, by so many. Uh, Jesus is easily professed by so many as the Lord on a very intellectual basis. We, we know that he is the Lord. And so oftentimes he is our Lord in a group setting, a, a very acceptable within our environment that Jesus is our Lord. But how many times do we stop and think of Jesus as my Lord? How many times do we stop and make him our 
personal, supreme owner and master of our life. Making it a commitment to ourselves to bend to His authority and to His power. Making it more likely that as individuals, we will heed what He says over in Luke chapter 6. Turn over to Luke 6 and verse 46. Luke 6 and verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? That's such an easy place to fall into whenever we don't truly treat Him as our personal Lord. When we don't truly submit ourselves to Him as as He is our King. That He is not our true Master. And unless we view Him as my Lord, It makes it increasingly hard, if not impossible, to do exactly what he says. An attitude of Jesus as my Lord involves a disdain for things of the world. Things such as popularity, prestige, uh, family. When we look at these things, certainly we, again, don't look at them as if having a family is somehow wrong. Being popular is somehow wrong. But we look at those things and they're not the pivotal point of our life. They're not the focus of our life. We're willing to suffer even if it means losing these things. Considering them as rubbish. That's exactly what Paul was talking about. Turn over to Philippians 3. Philippians 3 and verses 8 through 11. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. When we have an attitude of Jesus as my Lord, we'll look at these things and just recognize that very, very oftentimes they are important and they are parts of our life, but they do not hold a, 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 an ounce of sway when it comes to Christ when it comes to doing what He has told me to do, when it comes to living out the life that He has told me to live. And as Paul said, I will suffer with the sufferings of Christ, having even lost all of these things, because they are not my Lord. But Christ Jesus is my Lord. It involves a consuming desire to know Christ. To know Him personally. To know His, his righteousness to know his, his power, and to truly know His suffering. If we continue on, verses 12 through 14, we'll see that it, cons, it calls for a constant pressing on for perfection. Verse 12 says, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which, I, I also, for which also I was laid hold of by Christ, Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was saying he wasn't, compl- he wasn't going to be complacent in his service in Christ. 
When someone has the attitude of Jesus as my Lord, they won't be complacent with the service that they give to the Lord. They will never be content to say, I have, I have finally reached a place where I can just sit back and put it on autopilot. They'll continually be pressing on, not satisfied with the level at which their, their spiritual growth is at, and they're willing to leave the past behind. And, and yes, that means that they're willing to leave sin behind and things that they left to become a Christian. That old way of life that we talked about in Colossians, it's dead, it's been buried. Yes, we'll leave that behind, but we'll also leave behind things that one time held a great, a great deal of importance to us, things that one time maybe we gloried in. We gloried in the... the the efforts that we put into our job. We gloried in the financial stability that we had. We gloried in our family and how, how wonderful it seemed that they were. We gloried in these things at one time, but we will put those things aside if need be because we are pressing on to something that is far better. We're not going to wallow in past failures and we're not going to stand on past successes. We're reaching forward. We're, we're pressing towards a goal. And we're not going to stop till we get there. That's Paul's attitude. And that attitude demonstrates an attitude of one that truly has made Jesus my Lord. He's, he's showing an attitude of maturity as a disciple of Jesus. Verse 15, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude. God will reveal that also to you. Paul says, have this same attitude that, I, that I'm describing here. An attitude that says Christ is my Lord. Christ is my curious. Christ is my despotist. He is, he is my absolute ruler, my absolute owner in this life. Such is the attitude of one who really has made Jesus their Lord and their master. So this afternoon, I know we went through this, this lesson rather quick, quick, quickly, but I wanted to bring it up to this question right now. What is Jesus to you? Oftentimes we do acknowledge Him as the Lord. Oftentimes we acknowledge Him as our Lord. But is He your Lord? Is He my Lord? It's the question we should all be asking ourselves this evening. Jesus would have us to accept Him as Lord. Because He has all authority. And He expects us to observe what He commands. The whole <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18, 20 through 20, the Great Commission is Christ demonstrating, talking about His authority, giving us His commands, and expecting us to meet those marching orders. But He warned of those who profess His Lordship, but fail to truly demonstrate it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23 talks about those who would, who would call Him Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Yet then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those who profess that Christ is their Lord, who, who, would, who would claim that he is, but their lives do not back up that profession, that profession do not back up their claims. This afternoon, I would ask you, are you doing the will of the Father? Are you demonstrating that Jesus is truly your Lord? If you have not, if you have not been doing that in your life, there is still time for you to start doing that. Maybe you have never made the first steps to, create, to, to showing Jesus as your Lord and submitting to that absolute rule 
when we come to Him believing that He is the Son of God, willing to confess that before others and to turn away from the power that this world has, has over us and the power that sin has over us and turn towards Him, to look towards Christ for our salvation, submitting to Him in obedience through baptism. When we, when we will take those first steps of faith, we are proclaiming that He is our Lord. He is my personal Lord and I am going to serve Him. But if along the way, along the way we have, we have strayed from that viewpoint and we have looked back to the world to, for, for, for the ruling of our life, we are forgetting that which is talked about in 1 Corinthians 15, to be steadfast. To be steadfast and that hope that we first had when we first came to Christ, that feeling that we first had when we were first baptized into Christ and said, He is my Lord, to be steadfast with that thought and to hold on it so quickly. If there's anything that we can do to help you, to assist you in that walk, or to help you begin that walk this afternoon, I would encourage you, please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.